Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Good to see you here this evening. Good to see some on Zoom as well. Uh, what a privilege it is to just gather together. Small in number, but here we are to praise the Lord together. We welcome Kirk Sinclair with us this evening. Uh, most of you would know Kirk. <laughs> Kirk will come now and read the scripture and lead us in prayer. Kirk, please. Please turn your Bibles to John 11. I'll be reading the, uh, the entire chapter. Uh, correction, up to verse 44. That's on page 1113 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles. It's, uh, Rael has given me that detail there, so I'll pass it along to you. John chapter 11, uh, starting from verse 1. John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Verse 7, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11, these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. Verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, 
she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face excuse me, was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your gospel, your gospel message is full of hope. And we pray as we look at the resurrection of Lazarus today, that your Holy Spirit would renew within us a recollection of the way that we came to faith, being raised up spiritually from, uh, from death, spiritual death. And Father, help us to rejoice when we consider the personal application of this story. But Father, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open this passage to our hearts and help us to understand it and where it fits in with the ministry of Jesus. And Father, we pray that uh, those who are not with us tonight, for whatever reason, Lord, that they would be blessed where they are and uh, that they would be able to join us again in the future. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, welcome, Kirk. Thankful you're there this evening. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I think the temperature on the car said 30. Was it 38? 38. First time we'd seen it that, that high. So if I start melting, then uh, help me. Okay. We're going to spend some time tonight looking at uh, John chapter 11 looking at the raising of Lazarus. And it's a story that we're familiar with. And so, and it's a long reading. I'm not going to repeat it. I will be repeating the the different, uh, as we go through it, we'll we'll be looking at the individual verses and and recalling them to memory so that we can match everything up 
but I, I trust that we'll be blessed as we look at this. So let's, uh, let's submit to the Lord again in prayer and uh, seek his blessing as we uh, pray together. Let's pray. Indeed, Father, we are your servants and we acknowledge your holiness and your sovereignty. And Father, we know that during the life of Jesus Christ, he demonstrated those miracles which confirmed to the eyes of all who saw who he was. And we know, Lord, and we thank you that in doing these things, he also answered prophecy confirming his identity. But Father, we, um, as we look at this passage today, help us to examine it in, and uh, help us to be blessed by it as we consider uh, the raising of Lazarus and as we consider the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the decisions that he made as he uh, moved through this chapter. So bless the, the message in its speaking, Lord, and to uh, bless it also to the hearts of all who listen to your Holy Spirit. Uh, firmly implant in our hearts what we need to know tonight. Help us to be sanctified, Lord, and uh, and improved. And and as we go from this place, Lord, we pray that we might be better equipped to share the gospel and to live in accordance with your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there we go. So Jesus' public ministry is over. And, um, And he's a wanted man. And we'll... We'll be looking at this a little bit more. The events in, in chapter 10, we'll be looking at in a bit more detail so that I can qualify what I mean by, by wanted. Now, so far in the book of John, we have six miracles that have taken place. John chapter 2, the wedding in Cana, changing water into wine. That's verses 1 to 10. The nobleman's son was healed in, in John chapter 4. Uh, the paralytic man was, was healed in chapter 5. Chapter 6, we have two miracles. We have the multiplying of the loaves and fish and the walking on water. And in chapter 9, which is the last miracle before this miracle of raising Lazarus, is the curing of the man who was born blind. And of all of these, the raising of Lazarus is the most dramatic of Jesus's miracles, short of his own resurrection. And it's not the first time that Jesus had raised from the dead. And there's a few notable examples of that. Jairus's daughter uh, is one, and also the son of the widow at Nain. You recall where Jesus saw the wedding or the funeral procession, and he he brought that young man to, uh, to life. But in this case, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so this miracle clearly is a miracle that was intended to to, uh, communicate to all that observe uh, something particularly special about who Jesus was. Who is it that can give life with just a word? And I won't elaborate on these points, but I'll just make them here, just so that you're... you're, uh, uh, aware of them, there's three particular ways that that uh, that uh, God is glorified in in uh, in this miracle. Um, it points to the deity of Christ, proving that He's God. And it, uh, I'll have to flip these a little faster. It confirmed the faith of the disciples and any miracles that He does. Uh, uh, 
is it helps their faith and it makes them more effective witnesses for him. And it foreshadowed the resurrection. So these three things in particular. So what we're going to do is we're going to cleverly use the word W. This evening's message was brought to us by the the letter W. Jesus waits, Jesus weeps, and Jesus wakes. And so this, this, uh, between the three of these, we'll, we'll get through the 44 verses. Okay, verses 1 and 2. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Um, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, for those of you that are interested in, in the, na- the etymology and the study of names and so forth, uh, Lazarus is based on the name Eleazar, which is the combination of El, which means God, El Elohim, right? And uh, the word Hazar, help. So El Hazar. When you put it together, it means one whom God helps. And that's, uh, that's certainly true in this case. And, and uh, I'm fascinated by the meanings of names and and that's something that's missing from, from our culture. Uh, but Lazarus is the sister of Mary and Martha. And we've heard of Mary and Martha before. If you recall, Jesus entered the, uh, the house and Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was the one that was busy making preparations. And this Mary apparently was the one that we're told in advance of the next chapter, chapter 12, where Mary came and anointed uh, Jesus. Uh, for his burial. And so it says specifically that this is the same Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse two. So it was evident that Jesus was very good friends with this family, probably having stayed with them several times when he was at the various festivals because he would come to to Jerusalem like many of the other Jews to to go to the festivals. And um, and here we're, we're told very plainly, verse 3, uh, Therefore his sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he, he whom you love is sick. And isn't it interesting that God always operates on the basis of his love for us and not on, his, on our love for him? 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He whom you love is sick. And love here is the Greek word phileo. So it's a phileo is brotherly love. Uh, verse four, uh, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. And so that's what we, that's what we read about here is, uh, is, uh, That it, did I miss a? Oh, my notes don't match, but that's okay. That's okay. Right away, Jesus tells us that Lazarus' sickness is for the glory of God. And that's what we, we see. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He says this again in verse 40. Now, if you recall, if you've done any studies in the book of John, you may recall in chapter 9, the man born blind, there was... A similar question put, was it this man's parents 
that sinned or their parents? Or was it him or, or his parents that sinned? John 9.3 says, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So Jesus has a plan with this healing. This healing has a purpose to it, to, to bring God glory. And certainly for all that were, were uh, uh, seeing this, it, uh, it, would, it would have an impact that they would never forget. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Well, that's a strange thing. Why delay to come and see uh, someone that you love, especially if they're sick? Well, his delay was not because he didn't love them. Uh, God often makes us wait in order to uh, package blessings for us in, in a certain way. And we can see after the fact the reason why he, uh, he delayed. And so we, we continue. Verse 7, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. In verse 8, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? And so, of course, what? Return to Jerusalem and be killed. Uh, we won't flip to John 10 just yet, but, but uh, uh, within the space of about two months, he had been in, in Judea, and uh, that's when the events of, of uh, chapter 10 take place. So uh, that's, uh, and we'll read that uh, as well. And so uh, we'll put that off just, just a little bit. Uh, and, then, and then Jesus says something about the time here. Verse 9 says, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10, But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not, is not in him. And, and what we're missing here is that I rather suspect that this was a common Jewish saying uh, that reminds us that no one can lengthen or shorten a day you know, the time is fixed and that we, we uh, need to be about our, our business. And uh, so his point is that our lives are, are the same way, uh, fixed in length by God. And no angry mob in Jerusalem is going to prevent Jesus from completing his mission. I just read for uh, the second time that book that was passed around here, a couple of years ago called A Face Like a Flint. Does anybody remember that book? And that, uh, that book talks about Jesus and his determination to go to Jerusalem specifically for the task that he, was, that he came to earth for, to go and to offer himself as a propitiating sit, uh, sacrifice for his people. And, and everything about Jesus communicated how important that mission was to, uh, to him. And this is another example of, of him uh, regardless of the, uh, the danger. Um, verse 11, of these things he, sa- he said, and after that he said of them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And so here sleep means death. Jesus was telling him what, what he was going to do. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Of course, they weren't ready for that. That's not, this is something that is special and it's something that uh, doesn't happen every day. So, so they had... Uh, they had no expectation at this point that uh, that there was they were going to see a man raised from uh, from death to life. They thought it was sleep. They thought he was talking about sleeping. Verse twelve. Then his disciples said, "Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well." However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Verse fourteen. Then Jesus said to them plainly, "Lazarus is dead." 
And uh, he needed to clarify that. They needed to understand that. And, uh, and then, of course, a, a number of other different questions come up, don't they? You know, uh, what now? How is this going to happen? What's, what's this going to take place? And maybe a little bit of anxiety uh, and anticipation uh, in them. And uh, verse 15, uh, then Jesus said, uh, he's, Lazarus is dead, verse 15, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So Jesus is glad. He's glad that Lazarus is dead. And it only makes sense when we, when we know what he's going to do, doesn't it? Uh, we can look at this from a distance now, and after the fact, we can look and, and see, and, and all these things seem to make sense now. But for them, they would have had uh, a lot of confusion. So what the disciples were going to, to witness would, would certainly increase their faith. And uh, that's one of the ways that God is glorified from this miracle. And then we have in verse 16, uh, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And sometimes I think that Thomas gets a bad rap. When you think about Thomas, uh, you think, isn't he the guy that doubted Jesus? You know, he said that he had to touch the wounds, you know. But here, here is a kind of a different way that we can remember uh, Thomas. We can remember Thomas for demonstrating courage here. Uh, let us go. He's, uh, uh, let us also go that we may die with him. Interesting. And so uh, now Thomas loved Christ enough to, to, to die with him. Now for us, the question shouldn't be, do we love Christ enough to die with him? But do we love Christ enough to live for him? And that's the question that we should be asking ourselves. All right. So that's the, the preamble. Now Jesus is, is on his way now to Judea. Uh, he knows that uh, the crowd that is there will not certainly welcome him. And he meets the sisters and he sees them grieving here. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, it seemed that Lazarus had died very shortly after the sisters sent word, considering a day's journey each way. And Jesus also stayed two days. But Jesus was never idle. And I believe there was a couple of events that happened when Jesus went from the Transjordan area back to Jerusalem, um, I believe Zacchaeus was one of the one of the events. Uh, perhaps Bartimaeus was one of those events as well. And so, uh, um, and that's just an aside. Anyway, he arrives, and when he arrives, he didn't actually arrive in in Bethany, but probably outside of it, probably near the burial place. Um, verse eighteen. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And uh, going to Bethany, of course, was risky because of Bethany's uh, nearness to uh, Jerusalem. Um, As early as two months before this, the Jews in Jerusalem were furious with Jesus, accusing him of blasphemy, and they had picked up stones to stone him. And just to to add to uh, our understanding of this, I'm going to look at a few verses in Jerusalem. John 10, and that was the passage that flipped through a few slides ago. Uh, 10, 22 to 31. So I'll read these nine verses now just to give you an idea of the situation that 
that he had departed from uh, eight weeks earlier. Verse 22, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And so they're ready to stone him. They've they've been listening to his claims here. This is a great comfort passage because it talks about our security being in Jesus's hand. And then the father's hand is around uh, that other hand, uh, showing a very secure uh, place of refuge for those who are trusting in God. It's a comforting picture. But nevertheless, it it does represent danger for the Lord Jesus Christ, his person, because um, having wanted to to kill them and having Jews that were rabid to uh, to do this, they uh, they certainly would uh, would have to be careful uh, going near the city of of Jerusalem. Okay, and then we start to to read about details concerning the, the funeral and the mourning and the people that are there. Uh, Verse 19, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Uh, And let me fill you in about uh, some some details with Jewish funerals. Uh, Mourners, they customarily came and stayed with the family for about a week and they would remain with them and and comfort them and attend to their needs. Uh, There were professional mourners as well that could be hired and uh, Providing this a public service, it's kind of a, a strange thing to, uh, to think about there. Uh, but burial in, in that climate, in that society, in that geography was almost immediately after death. And so, um, you know, if you, if you had read uh, books like The Case for Christ, when they talk about uh, the resurrection and the, uh, and the death of Christ, they have the swoon theory. And, and because people have actually swooned in that climate, then uh, and, and they seem to have come back to life after everyone had thought that they had died. This is this is something that uh, um, ha- that happens when when they're buried uh, almost immediately after a death. Um, there was a procession to the tomb that was led by the women, and uh, and typically uh, out of respect, if if you go to attend a funeral at uh, in first century Palestine. Uh, out of respect, no one spoke to the family unless a family member first spoke to them. And it's just because we, we recognize and respect that they're uh, grieving. And, uh, and so generally speaking, that was the etiquette, that uh, that was what you follow if you wanted to communicate to a family member. Wait for them to address you. Um, verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And so it's, it's like the first time we hear about Martha and Mary and Martha's with, uh, uh, well, Martha was away making preparations and it was Mary who, who was uh, with Christ sitting at his feet. But here Martha goes and Mary stays. Uh, Luke 10 gives us the impression that Martha is the more active of the two sisters. Uh, 
Verse 21, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And just remember that, just, just for a few verses here. It seems she told Jesus what had been foremost in her mind, perhaps with just a touch of maybe resentment that Jesus had arrived too late. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And so Martha's faith is revealed here. And this is, this is something that's, uh, um, it's, it's so refreshing to hear that confession of, of her, a proper understanding of her relation. Of, it just shows that she understands the relationship that God, that the Lord Jesus has with God the Father. Uh, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so for, for Martha, the thought of raising Lazarus with, on the spot did not occur to her. Uh, verse 25, uh, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Verse 26, and whoever be- lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. And of course, Jesus is of all of the I am sayings. I think this is the most glorious of them all. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Through faith in Christ, we have life from from death. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. So if we look at verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, uh, though he may die, uh, yet shall he live. And so verse 25 speaks of the, the physical life. Though he may die, yet shall he live in the future. Verse 26 speaks of the spiritual life. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? In working with the youth, we had a saying, uh, maybe you've heard it, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. I'll say it again, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. And the explanation for being born twice is being born physically, then being born spiritually, then you die only once physically, but you live forever spiritually. Born once, die twice, born twice, die once. And of course, this is the essence of the the gospel message, the truth that leads to eternal life. What we tell people is if you believe the claims of Christ, believe that he died for you. And if you do believe that, since God was satisfied with his his, uh, uh, sacrifice, then it will be applied to you. And we have eternal life in Christ. And I mentioned that uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks Martha, do you believe this? And so he he challenges her to to, uh, apply what what he was saying to her. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57 speaks about death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Oh, Hades, where is your victory? 
The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a check for us. Just to make sure that we have faith and and that we're saying uh, that we have an assurance that we're trusting in Christ. Because in him is, uh, is life, life eternal. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. And that kind of reminds me of Peter's great confession when Jesus said, who, who do they say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? And, and Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and of course, Jesus was very, very pleased with that answer that came not from men, but it came from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then, of course, Jesus talked about, uh, about the uh, going to the cross and, uh, and things changed for Peter there at that point. Verse 28, and when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Uh, As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying she's going to the tomb to weep there. And then, and in these verses coming, we will begin to see things that really indicate the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, uh, what we read here is that, is uh, in verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was, uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Mary comes to, to Jesus and uh, she fell down at his feet. This is verse 32 saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, so she says exactly what, Mary, what Martha says. And uh, so I would guess that they had had a discussion before the Lord Jesus came. And uh, both of them communicating their, their disappointment about, uh, about the death of their brother, knowing that Jesus, if he had been there, would certainly have done something. Uh, verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and this is what Jesus sees now. He sees her weeping and he sees the Jews who came with her weeping. And then he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And this groaning is, uh, is, is a reflexive. When we talked about uh, Abraham uh, speaking to Isaac and saying that God himself will provide the sacrifice. Well, this is similar in the Greek language. It's a reflective. It just means that he troubled himself. And so, and you know what that, that's like when you get this pit in your stomach and you can feel this, this physical troubling. And, and it affected him. And, and uh, what it results in is it results in him shedding tears. And uh, I think particularly when he asks, about where the body is, that uh, that it that's the point where it begins to really gall him here. And uh, verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Spontaneous tears. 
He sees the tears of Mary. He sees the tears of the mourners and he hears their cries. He's surrounded by the misery of a life ended prematurely. And these tears show the warm humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the man of sorrows, uh, familiar with suffering. He grieved or troubled himself, even though he knew that very soon Lazarus would be very much alive. But what he saw was the misery of, of having that loss. Perhaps he was thinking about the larger picture of how fallen humanity had uh, destroyed the plan of God and, and the, the, the plan uh, of man's fellowship with God um, because of sin. And these things all combined to, uh, to grieve his heart very deeply. And so he was inwardly and sincerely affected. So Jesus shows his compassion for those in, uh, in misery. And he may have also been angry over the bigger picture, sin's destructiveness. Verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And this is earthbound thinking here. It's... um, the Jews, first of all, they, they say, see how he loved him. They saw Jesus. They saw in the tears, they saw the love of Jesus for uh, Lazarus's family, for his sisters. They saw that warm humanity of Christ. But then they said, could not this man who opened the eyes of, of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And it's a fascinating thing that some people trust in the will and the power of God but not in his timing. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, verse 38, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Now tombs were like small rooms that were hewn out of, out of uh, solid rock. And I, I imagine there's many different tomb designs, but uh, most of them had shelves for the placement of uh, many bodies because a tomb would belong to a family. Uh, They had an angled channel at the door, kind of a groove, and then a circular heavy stone that was was, uh, set in place and it was rolled down. So to open it, you had to roll the stone up against gravity. And so it took some effort to to move. And this is where the body of uh, Lazarus was laid. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And then Martha, the sister of him who is dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And so Jesus has others uh, move the stone. And what's interesting here is sometimes when Jesus uh, performs a miracle, he, he, he gets other people to be involved in it. And some notable examples of that is when he stopped the Jordan River uh, but the, so that the nation could cross into Uh, the land of Canaan, but he didn't stop it until the priests were standing in the water. And uh, that's just one example of uh, him involving uh, people. And here he has others uh, move the stone. Um, Now, Martha really doesn't know what's going on here. She doesn't think that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus. She may even think that he wants to take 
uh, one last look at him. And uh, decomposition would have set in because the Jews didn't have the kind of embalming rituals that we read about with the, uh, the Egyptians, for example. They, treat, they, they, they prepared their dead different ways. Uh, they wrapped the body with spices, wrapping hands and feet separately, not like the Egyptians who would take the mummies and put the legs together and, and wrap them together, but they wrapped the legs separately. Um, uh, and, uh, and of course, the spices, uh, just a week later, the Lord Jesus will be buried, and, and we read about how they had carried over 100 pounds of spices to put in with the grave clothes to prepare the body. And something else that I thought was interesting that I think you'll, you'll find very interesting as well is uh, this Jewish tradition about the spirit in the body in the four days. Uh, it's, maybe some of you have heard this before, but it's, it's a bit uh, unusual for, for us in the Western world to think of it this way. Jewish tradition held that the spirit hovered around the body for three days, hoping to re-enter the body. But after three days, the face, because of decomposition, the face was no longer recognizable. And so the spirit left. And, uh, and that's uh, one thing that kind of uh, makes this four days uh, a relevant piece of information in this story. Uh, just reading from the uh, Dictionary of Christ in the Gospels here, a uh, quote, uh, uh, the Jewish fancy was that for three days after death, the soul hovered around the sepulcher, feigned to re-enter and reanimate its tenement of clay. And the bereaved were wont to visit the sepulcher to see if happily their dead had come to life. After three days, decomposition set in, and when they saw its ghastly disfigurement on the face, they abandoned hope. Had Jesus arrived within three days after Lazarus's death, it might have been pronounced no miracle, but he arrived on the fourth day when decomposition would have already set in. Another commentator writes uh, that after three days, Lazarus was unambiguously dead. He had not fainted, but because he was starting to decompose now, that is your proof that, that, uh, that this man was indeed, indeed dead. Something else that's relevant too, and I like to, to share these things, but Psalm 16.10 reads this, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And we note that Christ rose on the third day so, that, so as not to see corruption. And that's just another detail about the, uh, the, uh, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're at verse 40. And... Uh, And again, we're reminded that the, the purpose of raising Lazarus is for the, uh, the glory of God. And this is important now, that uh, everyone who was there saw a man raised from the dead, but only those who believed saw the glory of God. And we're all set for the, the, the last part of, of this narrative that talks about the actual resurrection of Lazarus. I just remind you that the, that the purpose of this miracle was to, to bring glory to God. And, uh, 
And this definitely achieved its purpose. Um, Verses 41 and 42. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have not, or that you have heard me. Uh, And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And so Jesus prays, but he prays for the sake of the people so the people can hear the prayer. And he knows then that Jesus is doing the the work of God the Father, which is what he came to do. And so this is is beautiful because this shows uh, the presence of God the Father and his active involvement in this. And the witness is there. He, he, he speaks, he prays, he prays loudly enough for people to hear. And then he says, he calls Lazarus forth loudly again. Let's look at verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he shouted. He shouted so that the people there would be sure to hear him before they saw Lazarus emerge. And I laugh because one one of the commentators says it's a good thing he said Lazarus and called him by name. Verse 44 is our last verse here. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So again, Jesus involves others in the removing and the loosing of the clothing. Jesus uh, calls Lazarus. Lazarus emerges. Remember, the wrappings were separate on the legs, so he was able to be uh, to move about, and he emerges. This dead man, he emerges in the grave clothes, and he is and he's loosed, and uh, others are participate by removing them. And after, uh, after chapter 12, we, we don't hear about Lazarus again. Uh, some ex- extra biblical information uh, you might find interesting. According to an old tradition, Epiphanius, uh, he was 30 years old uh, when he was raised from the dead and he lived another 30 years afterwards. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church also has... Uh, According to Eastern tradition, Lazarus with Martha and Mary and some friends uh, were put into a leaking boat by the Jews and being miraculously preserved, landed on the island of Cyprus where he was made bishop at Kidion. I don't know where Kidion is. I guess it's a place in Cyrus, uh, Cyprus, but uh, it's nice when historical details uh, somewhat support the, uh, the, the scriptural record. Now, sometimes it is difficult for us to connect a biblical event to, to, uh, to real life. But this miracle is, is really a picture of Christ giving spiritual life. And what Christ has done in this demonstration, physically raising Lazarus from the dead, is a picture of, if we're trusting in Christ tonight, is a picture of what Christ has already done with each of us in a spiritual sense. He has called us and given us spiritual life where there was no life before. And it's interesting because we, uh, we play the role of Lazarus. Each one of us is indeed born dead in our trespasses and sins. 
we look at original sin and we might think, well, okay, we can blame Adam for that, but we can't really because through life we confirm daily just by the way that we live. Our hearts have been tainted by, by sin. We need a Savior. And when we evangelize, we should not think of the, the lost as being sin sick. We should think of them as being dead. They're dead. They're dead spiritually. And so, so our, our salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle of God worked in, in our life in bringing us uh, spiritual life where there was none before. Lazarus's body was decayed beyond recognition. And just as each of us has no mind or will or inclination of the things of God. And that's the way that we enter this world. And, um, uh, and so it's important for us to, to, to consider just how helpless we were before God reached down and, and uh, gave us life. And just as Lazarus could never come out of the tomb by his own effort, no one can give themselves eternal life. And so our hearts now should be welling up with thanksgiving because of, of the work of God. He has saved us by providing a propitiating sacrifice. There's no way to salvation except through Christ. And that's our gospel message. And that's, that's the, uh, the glorious truth that preserves us and that gives us hope that, that we have uh, eternal life in Christ who reached down to us who are spiritually dead, and he gave us life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this demonstration of your great power. For in these events, we see the humanity of Christ, but also we see the deity of Christ in able to give life where there was no life before. And in our hearts we rejoice because each one of us has as part of our testimony that, that spiritual resurrection where we were given life. Life that will never end. And so we thank you for these things as we, uh, as we see that the love of Christ for this family, for the man Lazarus, Lazarus raised to life. And we thank you, Lord, that you're you're uh, in this open demonstration of your power, your love as communicated to us. And Father, we pray that we might honor you with our lives as a result. For Jesus' sake, amen.